A house is only as good as its foundation. It'll stand or fall depending on how good or bad that foundation is. Same is true for our Christian faith. The common confession of the pillar of truth, next on Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online at reformedheritage.org, this is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. Welcome to our program. We are continuing our journey through 1 Timothy today, back in chapter 3, looking at verses 14 through 16, the common confession of the pillar of truth. What is our foundation? What is it we believe if we've got a core belief, a a foundational belief, if you will? Well, that's what we're exploring today. Won't you join us? Here's Pastor Gary and today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. If you love Christ, you will love his bride, for he laid down his life for his bride. How important is congregational worship to you? How important is being involved in the life of the church to you? Do you love the church? Do you love the church more than anyone else in your family? Jesus loved the church and he said, I will die so it will be the house of God. And so God will be reconciled to these sinners and they will be able to worship him as old friend with old friend. John Calvin said, if you have God as your father, you have the church as your mother. The church is the mother of all believers. God used the church in some way or another to save each and every one of you. If it wasn't for the church, you wouldn't be saved. You say, well, it happened when I was reading a book. Well, the author was more than likely a member of the church. Everyone has God as his father And has the church as his mother. And how much do you love your mother with a capital M? So Paul is saying here, Timothy, I would love to come myself, but I I can't at this time. So I'm leaving it up to you to teach people how to conduct themselves as it relates to their mother. Then it says in verse 15, in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. The one place on earth where God lives. Now God, as you all know, is omnipresent. There is no place in the universe where God is not. In fact, the whole universe can't even contain him. He's bigger than the entire universe. Well, we're not talking about the omnipresence of God. We're talking about a special presence of God that he shares with his children through Christ when they gather as the church. And it says this house of God, and I love this title, is the church of the living God. The church, the assembly of the living God. I think a great name for a church would be the church of the living God. Not of some dead idol nor a church of someone's view of God, but the church of the living God, the one living God, among all of these dead idols that people worship. Not a God that was created in the image of man, 
but the one true living God, besides whom there is no other, Scripture tells us. And the church is of the living God. And the living God means God is its source. God created it, and it belongs to him. Now, I know people, just for the sake of abbreviation, use things like, oh, RAC, that's Gary Wagner's church. Or, or that church over there, that's Joe Moorcraft's church. Beloved, I hate that. And it is never a good w- way to speak of the church. This is not my church. This is the church of the living God. It is his church. And that means you must treat the church and have an attitude toward the church that is consistent with believing that it is the assembly of the people of the true and living God. Someday we're going to have to stand before God and give an account as how we dealt with the church of the living God before whom we will stand on that last day. That is why it is important to know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Because it is the church of the living God. Now notice this phrase. It is the pillar and the support of the truth. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. It doesn't matter how majestic the building is, how grand the piano, how austere the meeting place, how large the attendance, the church There is only one, and it is not limited to any one denomination. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. So what is Paul getting at? Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul uses another figure of speech, and he says this, we've read it before, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built. Now, here is the imagery of a building again, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, the imagery here is a little different than our text. Our text says that the church is the pillar and support of the truth. Ephesians 2.19 says that the truth spoken by the apostles and prophets is the foundation of the church, of the church. Now, can it be both? It it says in 1 Timothy that the church is the pillar and support, or as one old Puritan said, the basement of the truth, holding up the whole house of the truth. And Paul says in Ephesians, the only church there is, is the house of God, which has a foundation upon the earth, the truth revealed through the apostles and the prophets. Well, both of those are right if you understand the imagery. The only church there is, is based upon apostolic and prophetic tradition contained in the Holy Scripture, found in the 66 books of Holy Scripture. There is a common myth among some Protestants and all Roman Catholics that there was a famous church council convened several hundred years after the New Testament was written, in which the Roman Catholic Church officially declared what books would be in the Bible. It never happened, my friends. It is a good Roman Catholic myth, but it is a myth. Any time a book of the Bible was written to a particular group, and this is, this is, is supported by your Bible, it was immediately received 
by that group as the word of God. It didn't need the decree of some council. It was a self-attesting, self-authenticating revelation of God. And they knew it because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So the true church is a church based on the Bible plus nothing. In the truest sense, church members are Bible-believing Christians. It's not just a little cliche they use. They do believe what is in the Bible in the fullest sense. That is the foundation of their life. That is the foundation of their hope, the foundation of their worldview, the foundation of their faith. It's not the opinion of man. It is the divinely revealed word of God found in Holy Scripture. Now we come back to First Timothy. And it says that this true church founded on apostolic prophetic truth with Christ being the cornerstone is also the pillar and support of the truth. Now before we look at the pillar and support, notice the words, the truth. It is customary for people to say today, even some preachers, and you hear it all the time on television and the internet where people will say, well, that's your truth. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I have my own truth. Beloved, if your truth is not based on the truth, you don't have any truth. There is not your truth and my truth, as if we're talking simply about two perspectives and mine is just as right or just as wrong as yours is. Jesus said in John 17 in a prayer to God, your word is truth. It's not part of the truth. It's not sometimes the truth. Your word, Father, is the truth and everything in your word is the truth. There's not one thing in your word that's not the truth. It is all like Francis Schaeffer said, truth is truth. And not just the opinion of man. It is the truth. There's no truth outside of Christ and the Bible. What does Christ say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no truth about reality and about God and about your relationship to him outside of Christ. In him, it says, is gathered up all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It says that God's word is a light into our path and a light for our walk in this world. Without the word of God, you walk in darkness. Without Christ, you have neither wisdom nor knowledge. There is no wisdom or knowledge outside of Christ. None. If you lay aside the Bible, if you lay aside Christ as a foundation of all your thoughts, there is no way you will ever come up with morality or true knowledge. There is no knowledge or morality outside of Christ. He is the truth. And if your worldview is going to adequately see what reality is all about, you must look at reality through the truth. You know, I get very upset with people referring to America as having a Judeo-Christian base. Beloved, we never had a Judeo-Christian base. 
Judaism for the past 2,000 years has had nothing to do with the Old Testament. It is today the religion of the rabbis. It has nothing to do with Genesis through Malachi. And the religion of the rabbis played no part in the creation of this country. There is only one truth. And it is only found in Jesus Christ and his word. Now, what does it mean when it says the church is the pillar and the truth of the support of the truth? Well, bear in mind what Paul is talking about. Pillars. Paul had been to Athens. He had been to Rome. He had seen all the gorgeous buildings, which are now relics, where many of the big pillars are still standing today. Those big pillars would hold up the roofs of their majestic examples of great architecture. And that is what Paul is thinking about here. He said that the church is like one of these big pillars that holds up and exhibits the truth before the world. And that is the only reason that the church exists. It does not exist for its own sake. It does not exist so everyone will brag on it and say, oh, what a great church that one is. The only purpose of these pillars is to support and hold up the truth so that everyone in the world can see the truth. And without the truth and holding up the truth so people can see and understand it, we have no reason to exist, my friends. Oh, we can get together as a bunch of good old friends and have a good time. But then we really have no reason to exist. If our commitment as a church and as individual members of that church is not to see our church and ourselves as pillars, the purpose of which is to hold up the building of the truth before the world so that the world can see it and believe it, we have no reason to exist. We are here. So the world can see the truth in a way that we live. So that the world can hear the truth as we explain it to our friends and our family and our neighbors and our children. That's what we're here for, beloved. We have no reason to live and exist and waste our time unless we see ourselves as a church corporately. As a pillar of the truth holding up that truth before the world. And verse 16 is what is what the truth is. It is a common confession of faith. God's church has always been a confessional church. We don't give our own individual opinions. We say, here is what I believe. Here is our confession of faith. And then we explain it. If someone was to ask you, what do you believe as a Christian? Well, I would say, I believe the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms. And I believe in the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. These are my confessions of faith. And I'll be glad to explain things to you. But do you know what the foundation of what I believe is? It's not something I or anyone else made up. It is something the church has believed. And it is a common confession that is contained in the 66 books of the Bible. Now, if you don't believe what's here In verse 16, you cannot call yourself a Christian because it is a common confession of faith of all true Christians. It is the mystery of godliness. 
And mystery is a word in the New Testament that means it is only known through revelation. If God does not reveal it to you, you will never know it. So the gospel in many places, as well as the sacraments, are referred to as a mystery. The mystery of Christ, the mystery of the church, the mystery of godliness. That is here in the common confession. We see how God has brought to light godliness in the world. We have never known about it. We would have never known about it except by revelation. How did God bring godliness into the world? By causing godliness to be personified in Christ. And then by causing that godliness to be manifested by God's spirit in the life of Christ's followers in the church. The church is godly because Christ is godly. And here are the foundation, fundamental truths about Christ. First, he who was revealed is revealed in the flesh. Here is the common confession for all true believers. If you do not believe in the incarnation of Christ, you cannot be a Christian. God took upon himself human flesh and was born of a virgin. He was revealed in the flesh. With all the failures of fallen flesh, he could die, he could suffer, he would cry. It wasn't angelic flesh. It was fallen human flesh, though he himself was free of sin. The mystery of godliness, how God brought godliness into the world, was by causing godliness to be personified in Christ, the God-man. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated And although I think it should be by, vindicated by the Spirit. Now, does it mean to say Jesus was vindicated? Now, what does it mean to say that Christ was vindicated by the Spirit? Well, I think it means a couple of things. Not everyone who saw Jesus believed he was manifested in the flesh. In fact, I dare say that most people that Jesus rubbed shoulders with just thought they were rubbing shoulders with another man. And they knew nothing about who he really was. For he came to his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, he gave the authority to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And why did they not believe in him? It was because the Holy Spirit opened their heart. Why did they believe in him? Because the Holy Spirit opened their hearts to believe. And that was one way Jesus vindicated his name in the world. Many people in his day rejected him. But the Holy Spirit opened the hearts of many to see him for who he really was. But it could also mean something else. In Romans 1 it says, and I'll read just the first four verses. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit, capital S, of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So when Paul says to Timothy, Christ was vindicated by the spirit, He's probably referring to the fact, Paul is saying here, that it is the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. His glory was veiled in human flesh. 
He suffered. He died. But the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead and vindicated all of his claims of who he was. Romans 1 verse 4. who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also, the church in Rome, are called of Christ Jesus. Remember the Greek word for church means the called out ones, ecclesia. Among you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome. It says this letter is addressed to everyone in Rome whom God loves. It doesn't say this letter is addressed to Rome. It doesn't say that this letter is addressed to everyone in Rome. It says this letter is to everyone in Rome beloved of God. And where were they To be found in the church. That is where these people whom God loves abide. And that is why the church was so special to them. Let's go back to 1 Timothy again. Seen by angels. In every phase of Jesus' life, angels were involved. Angels announced his birth to the shepherds out in the fields. Angels... Uh, came to care for him when he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Angels were present announcing his resurrection. When he ascended to God's right hand, the angels were there speaking to the disciples that were left behind. These angels actually saw him ascend. They can testify to the fact that this man was and is really the Son of God, the Son of Man. And our text says, He was proclaimed among the nations. Remember the great commission that Jesus gave just before his ascension to the church? He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the Roman Empire was already being impacted by the preaching of the word of God. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, it says. This Greek, Roman, evil, idolatrous world. Even people who were depraved and perverted by the power of the Holy Spirit had begun believing that word and that was proclaimed to them. Taken up in glory. That, of course, is his ascension. After he delivered his great commission, he was taken up into glory where he now reigns over all, sitting at the right hand of God, guarding his church, loving his church, letting his church know that every time his church participates in the means of grace, he loves them. That bread and wine right here are tokens of Jesus' love for each and every one of us. The faithful preaching of his word is another token of his love for you. He's always kissing us through the means of grace. He sits at God's right hand praying for us. He uses us to transform men and nations. He protects us. There's nothing in all of creation that Jesus loves more than his church, beloved. How much do you love it? 
Can you just take it or leave it? Is it merely something that is good for you to do when it's convenient? Or is there possibly something you are willing to sacrifice everything for the well-being and benefit and usefulness of your mother? Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408. 408- 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at PMB that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 Pollard Road Los Gatos California the zip code is 95032 now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 